I've made this statement a lot recently. Uh, that as I'm getting older, I don't know, getting more sentimental, more nostalgic, but one of the most fulfilling things for a pastor, maybe it's after 26 years of pastoral ministry, is to see others that maybe you've had a, a little bit of influence in their lives or helped them along the journey or you've partnered together in ministry, uh, to see them being so fruitful and so bountiful in all that they do. And we're honored to have with us for this morning's service a very close, close friends of Sandra and I, uh, Lance and Crystal Bacon, uh, and their daughter, beautiful daughter, Braylon. They have been uh, friends, we've been friends for since 2002. I remember when they came to church on Sunday nights in Spotsylvania, and they would end up doing their internship in Spotsylvania. And then God plucked them out into pastoral ministry in King George and subsequently in Hampton. And they are doing just such a tremendous job at the Greater Discipleship Center. Just to give you an idea of, of, of who they are, Lance Bacon is an ordained bishop in the Church of God and has served as a senior pastor since 2004. He is a Marine Corps veteran. Thank you for your service. And has spent 20 years as a journalist and newspaper editor for the Military Times. He has served as a professor of Christian theology and ethics at Regent University. Some may know it as CBN still, but Regent University in Virginia Beach. He's since 2016, where he is soon to defend his dissertation, uh, the final step in completing his PhD in Christian theology. He's the author of three books, the most recent being the scariest word in the Bible, might you be wrong about being right with God. Crystal Bacon, his wife, holds dual credentials as an ordained minister and licensed minister of music in the Church of God. She is a leader of worship and women's discipleship and is a tireless advocate of the unborn. Crystal serves as an assistant branch manager at Bayport Federal Credit Union on the peninsula. Together, Lance and Crystal pastor Greater Discipleship Center in Hampton, uh, they have four children whom they affectionately call the Bacon Bits. Kyra is 24, who is in nursing school. Austin is 21, who co-owns a successful construction business outside of St. Louis. Braylon, who is with us today, is 19 and attends Paul Mitchell's Beauty School. And Cheyenne, 17, who has been accepted to several nursing schools upon graduating high school. We're honored to have them with us today. But would you welcome them to the stage as they come to share from the gospel this morning? It is so good to have them with us in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody give God praise in his house. He is worthy. Hallelujah. He is worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Since you're standing, if you could remain standing for just a moment, let me jump into the word here. I love in, uh, in the Old Testament, as they are recounting the history of Israel, there comes a point where Ezra stands before the people who are to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And the Bible says that when he opened the scroll, the entirety of the nation stood up to honor the word of God. 
and it is worthy of all honor. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read the first 10 verses out of this. And in Luke 19, I'll be reading from the New American Standard this morning. The Word of God declares to us, starting in verse number 1, that He, He being our Lord Jesus Christ, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, this beautiful day that you have given us, the opportunity that we may have to gather in your presence among your people. Lord, we do not take this lightly. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that those who cannot be with us physically, you are there with them in your fullness. And we pray your blessing be upon them and upon this congregation today, God. Father, open our ears that we may hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking. Lord, let the good seed of your good word find good ground. Not 30 or 60, but a hundredfold in the fruit that is produced. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint me. Guard my mouth. Let no word be spoken that is not anointed by you. And let no word be withheld that you would have declared. But instead, speak through your servant today into the hearts of your people that we may grow in the grace and the knowledge of God to become everything you have called us to be, to accomplish everything you have set for us to do. And for this, we will give you all honor and all praise, for you alone are worthy of it all. May it be done to the glory of the Father, and through the power of your Spirit, and in the name that is above every name, that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. 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 Go ahead and be seated. Such a blessing to be here with you today. I cannot tell you how much I have looked forward to this opportunity, not only to be with uh, dear friends, I didn't say old friends, uh, because that might make me old too, uh, but dear friends, indeed, uh, as we started off in ministry, uh, had three children at the time, one was in a car seat, the fourth one was in the belly, uh, and that's when we met uh, Donald and Sandra, your pastors, and, and uh, I thank God there's been many times where as a, as a young pastor, as a young minister, I've in, encountered 
spiritual battles and uh, different events, and I've called and said, hey, I need wisdom. What would you do? How would you handle this? How would you see this? It's good to have those who have been down the road before you and, and knows the twists and turns. Amen? Um, the very first time I was, I was offered a chance to actually preach on a Sunday was at Donald Jones Church. Now, when we finished that Sunday night, I said, uh, so tell me, uh, what'd you think? And he said, I thought it was great. I thought you preached a great message, all three of them. I've come a long way. I promise I'm not going to preach three messages today. I've trimmed it down to two. Now, one of the things I love about this beautiful new sanctuary is it's wonderful to be in here, and, and most important, the presence of God being in here. But I love the fact you don't have a countdown clock back there. You have a clock, but uh, when I went to Hampton the first Sunday I was there, I got up on the pulpit, and all of a sudden, this timer's clock, like you have in a marathon started, and it started at 30 minutes and was counting down. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm still sucking wind. I looked back at the sound booth. I said, okay, first thing you guys are going to have to do is just pull that off the wall. And they all kind of chuckled. I said, I'm not kidding. I'm not preaching until... This is not the Lord's hour. This is the Lord's day. And we're not going to be held by no clock. Let the Baptists get to the buffet. They'll refill it by the time we get there. Take the thing off the wall because we're going to worship God. And all of a sudden, half the people said, oh, Lord, what's this guy going to get us into? Um, I promise that I, I, I won't keep you at, at that length. But uh, I do have a word from the Lord that I want to share with you. And as, as we prayed about it, in our church the, the moment, while the fire was still blazing, I was getting phone calls. Um, I, I have met some of you in the past. I've been here before, not in preaching, but in, in different events that the state held and, uh, and the church held. And so we were very familiar with, with the Pulaski Church of God. And I was getting phone calls, and we pulled it up on Facebook, and I had my prayer team praying while the firefighters were still here. And, and we were giving progress reports as, as we've moved along. So I was very excited uh, for, for us to be able to come here and, and see this uh, beautiful rebuild. And indeed, uh, to understand that this church has faced much adversity. Not only with the fire consuming a building, you've rebuilt it even better, but then the virus kept the doors closed for a while. And now you're coming back to trying to get to a place of resuming full ministry, and we're doing so in a time in which our nation is divided by racial and political strife. And an uncertain economy. But time and again this church has withstood. Time and again this church has persevered. Time and again the church has overcome. And I'm confident that the Pulaski Church of God will do so once again. So as I sought God on this matter, on this Lord's day, the Holy Spirit kept prompting me to remind you that the truth is this. The church is not a building that can be burnt. The church is not a structure that can be silenced by a pandemic. The church is this collection of believers. And this message is for you as individual believers and as a collective body. As you begin to move forward in these challenging times, I want to encourage you to hear from God this truth. 
Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Your moment has not come because you have built a new facility. Your moment has not come because you can now have a 50% seating capacity. That's not the moment that I'm talking about. God's moment can come whether you have a building or you are meeting in a field somewhere. God's moment can come whether you are gathered with 500 or 5 in the name of the Lord. God's moment is ordained for each and every one of us. And it's imperative in this hour that we not stop back and say, okay, we did it, we're good, doors are open, let's move forward. I believe God has something even greater, and all that this building is going to do is facilitate the greater move of God that he has in store for the individuals and for the church. If you believe that, give God a hand clap of praise today. Now, when we talk about don't miss your moment, there's a lot of ways that we could approach this. We could talk about it in the Greek. And you could talk about the fact that there are two different words that are used in Scripture, chronos and kairos. Chronos is chronological. Chronos is natural time. Kairos, however, is God's proper and perfect time. And there's a difference between the two. If we don't understand this, we can do the right thing at the wrong time. And we want to make sure we're in God's time. I'll give you an example of this from Scripture. There's a powerful man of God named Abraham who is growing in grace and knowledge with God. And God tells him, you're going to have a son, and through that son, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. Well, the problem is, is that Abraham is old as dirt. And he starts to hesitate and say, well, when is this going to happen? So... Hearing the promise of God and knowing that this must take place, he takes matters into his own hands. You know the story. He goes with Hagar, his his wife's handmaiden, and they birth a son named Ishmael. And God shows up and says, what have you done, Abraham? I promised you an Isaac, but you've birthed an Ishmael. You tried to do in the flesh what only I can do in the spirit. And this is always going to cause contention. Don't miss your Kairos moment. God's timing is always perfect. You have to understand that if you try to make a blessing, you're going to miss a blessing. Because when you try to make a blessing, you're doing it in your own wisdom and in your own power. God's timing is perfect. Just because he drops it on you today doesn't mean it's going to be fulfilled tomorrow. Look, if you go outside and plant an apple seed, you're not going to be eating apples off that next month. It takes the average apple tree seven years to bear fruit. It's going to take some time to see the fruit begin to manifest. But be mindful that God has a blessing in store. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. And it's God's perfect time. Jesus repeatedly said, this is not my time, this is not my time. Looked like his time. His followers believed it was his time. Some of them tried to force his time. But he said, it's not my time. On the other hand, when he seems to show up late to Lazarus' funeral, he says, oh, actually, I'm right on time. So God's timing is not our timing. God has a time and a purpose for us, and it's imperative that we meet that. I remember not too long ago, 
I was pulling into the driveway. This was in the spring, and there was a, a, a lovely uh, blossoming of some lilies. I think they were lilies. They're white. I don't know. Sorry, ladies. Uh, some of you are green thumbs, and you're like, those weren't li-. I, Okay, they were pretty flowers. And I thought, wow, those look really nice. Well, later that week, snowstorm hit. Temperatures drop. We live in Virginia as well. I know it's not southwest Virginia, but it's Virginia. And you know what they say in Virginia. If you don't like the weather, wait two days, it'll change, you know, three times. So when I pulled up after that, I noticed those flowers were dead because of that cold spell. You know what happened? They were blooming when the weather had warmed, but then they became buried in snow. They bloomed before their time. And we often allow the context of our situations to deceive us into believing we are in a particular season when we are not. And we bloom before our time. So today, I want to encourage you to manage your moment, to recognize your time and what will be the telltale signs of that. Because I believe as God is moving the church forward, exceeding and abundant above all, he, all we can ask or imagine is in store. But how do we manage that moment? Let me give you a few pointers out of this passage. Step number one. If you really want to step into your time with God, you've got to recognize your deficiencies. You've got to recognize your deficiencies. Now, folks at my church know to wear steel toes when they come to church. I'm, I'm not, I tell folks all the time, I'm not a baker. I don't sugarcoat anything. So I step on toes sometimes. You say, good day. Point number one is recognize your deficiencies. Yeah, that's Bible. We have to recognize our deficiencies. Zacchaeus does this. He needs to see Jesus, but he can't because he's short. He's vertically challenged. You know, it's not like I'm going to be slamming on the basketball court anytime soon. I've got like a four-inch vertical leap, you know. I'm well past that. So I can sympathize with Zacchaeus in this. He's short, but here's the reality. We all have places where we come up short. We all come up short. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all falling short in some way. Now, I don't bring that up to condemn someone. You see, once we recognize and acknowledge where we are short, we do so for the opportunity to rise above it. You can't rise above what you will not recognize. You cannot manage what you will not measure in your own life. I'm not talking about, oh, you know what, that's right, that sister Susie Bucketmouth better be listening to this right now. We're not talking about her. In our own lives, where are we short? We have to recognize that deficiency to rise above it. In my, in my own life, I'm always motivated by Jesus' engagement with Pontius Pilate. Pilate asked him, what is truth? In John 18, Pilate then goes out to the Jews and says, 
I will not execute this man. I find no guilt in him. Some of the most accurate in the Greek translations will say, I find nothing in him deserving of death. Nothing in him deserving of death. In Luke 23, they shout, crucify him. And Pilate says a third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. Jesus himself said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and the God of this world is going to try to have his way, but he will find nothing in me. Friends, that is the goal of Christianity, that when the devil comes knocking, he doesn't find anything in me. He finds nowhere that I've come up short because by the Spirit of God, I've been able to rise above it. Whatever it was that kept me down, whatever it was that kept me from seeing Jesus, I've been able to be ascended into the arms of God and rise above that deficiency that is in me. Amen? So when they try to incite his anger, he says, you found nothing in me. When they try to bury her in bitterness, she says, they found nothing in me. When they try to lure him with lust, he says, no, you'll find nothing in me. Used to be there, but I rose above it. If you want to manage your moment, let God do this work in you of sanctification. Second point. You say, hey, we're on a roll. We're on it. Second point. Awesome. We have 37 more. <laughs> totally kidding you. There's only 26. Second point, remove distractions. Remove distractions. Zacchaeus is short behind people who are not, if I may put it another way, Zacchaeus can't see Jesus because of some people. <laughs> oh. Some people will prevent you from seeing Christ. Let me give you a word here. Don't nurture what God said neuter. Don't nurture what God said neuter. I know I'm talking to somebody in here right now. That's probably getting a little uncomfortable because God's already told you there's a problem here. Now, we often hide behind, well, I want to be a light in their darkness. Uh, he's a good light. And he doesn't want your, their darkness to diminish you. You have to consider the influence. 1 Corinthians 15 still says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awaken to righteousness, Paul said, and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. Be mindful of who you allow to pour into your life, who you assimilate with. Romans 16 says, I urge you, brethren, take note of those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned and avoid them, Paul said. Oh, he's not talking about those ungodly heathens that are sleeping it off. He's talking to the church. He says, avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. 2 Corinthians 6 tells us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Amos 3 and 3 says, Couldn't two walk together unless they be agreed? 
Now, I'm not saying we need to isolate ourselves from the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So we do witness to the world. But I'm talking about those people who influence your world. When they are giving you more influence than you are giving them, you're at the losing end of that equation. Don't nurture what God said you should neuter. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. I'll say that again. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Joseph was tolerated, not celebrated. And as a result, he found himself in a pit, then a prison, and all of this at the hands of his brothers. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Walk with spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. (laughs) That's what God's looking for. Spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Remove those distractions. Who are the people who are keeping you from seeing Jesus? And it might not even be within the church. It might be people who keep luring you back to an old lifestyle. To going back to the old haunts, the old habits, the old habitats. Point number three. Realize your destiny. What do I mean by realize your destiny? You all have a destiny in God. He has a plan that he's putting before you. And how do you know when it's your moment? Because your capability will not match your calling. When God calls you to do something, if you, if you come up to the pastor and you say, Pastor, I think I'm, I'd really like to help with children's church, and I want to volunteer here. And, uh, you know, I've got, I, I, I've got a little inkling to, to do this here, and I've got the time to do it. I'd like to help out there. Praise God. Knock it out. That ain't your calling. It's not your calling. You know how you'll know your calling? When you pray and God gives it to you, and you go, oof, uh, I, mm, I, don't, I, can't, I can't do that. Hey, Moses, five times told God, you got the wrong guy, God. Five times, read your Bible. Five times he said, "Mm -mm, I can't speak well. God said, I am, and Moses said, but I am not. (laughs) Five times. That's how you'll know you're in your calling. When you say, there's no way I could do it. Well, I must have missed God. And then some sweet Senior saint will walk up to you and she'll look at you and say, the Lord laid on my heart to tell you and she'll lay your mail right out in front of you and tell you the exact same thing God told you. Now it's confirmed. And you say, but but I can't. That's your calling. If you're able to do it without God, it's not from God. That's you. Your calling will require you to stay on your knees. It will require you to seek God. It will require you to shout grace. That's how you know you're in your calling. Woof, man, this is getting tough. Welcome to Christianity. What does Jesus say? Come down, Zacchaeus. He doesn't allow his past to keep him from his promise. Imagine if you were Zacchaeus and Jesus said, hey, I want to hang out with you today. You might say, oh, you don't want to hang out with me. You you want to go with that. That's the person you're looking for. Zacchaeus doesn't say that. He's not the likely choice, but he is God's choice. 
let me, let me take a sidetrack on this for a moment because we run into this rut in Christianity where people are so focused on what they're not able to do. I'm too old. I'm not educated enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have, I'm too much of an introvert, whatever the case might be. Let me give you some reality on, on overcoming this. Someone wants to find success as getting up one more time than you've been knocked down. This is understood by a college dropout named Bill Gates who formed Microsoft. Or I could tell you about an artist who went bankrupt and went to a newspaper editor to try to get a job drawing cartoons for the newspaper and the editor said, you have no good ideas, you'll amount to nothing. That man is Walt Disney. I could tell you about a young man whose grades were so poor, a teacher asked him to quit school. <laughs> Said he would never amount to anything. His own parents thought he was mentally retarded. His name was Albert Einstein. True. Or a German musician whose teacher said, as a composer, you are hopeless. And during his career, he lost his hearing, which is kind of important for a composer. You know him as Ludwig von Beethoven. A boy who was told by his teacher he was too stupid to learn anything, who now holds 1,093 patents. It took him thousands of attempts to learn how to make one of them work called the light bulb. And when asked how did he deal with such failure, he said, I never failed. I found thousands of ways to not invent a light bulb. His name is Thomas Edison. How about a high school athlete who was cut from his basketball team because of his lack of skill? His name's Michael Jordan. How about a man who only had 12 months of formal schooling? He failed as a businessman. He failed as a farmer. His sweetheart died, and he had a nervous breakdown. He failed in his first attempt to obtain political office. He failed in his first attempt to be elected to Congress. He failed when he ran for the United States Senate, and he failed when his friends sought for him the nomination for the vice presidency. But in 1860, he was elected our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. Realize your destiny, friends. You're going to get knocked down on the road to life. If your pride is so great that you're unable to accept defeat, you lack the humility necessary to handle true success. Failure is the best teacher. And God will use it mightily to humble us, to focus us, and to lean upon his grace. If you'll get up one time more than you're knocked down, you can walk in your destiny. You'll never realize your destiny if you think it's going to come with sugar and spice and everything nice. It's going to be hard fought. The devil doesn't want you in your destiny. But you have a Holy Spirit in you who is more than enough, who will enable you to overcome. Maybe you're not the favored son or daughter. Maybe you weren't voted most likely to succeed. Maybe they said you would never amount to anything, or you came from a poor family on the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe you're not what people wanted. Maybe you aren't what people like. Maybe you aren't what people are looking for. Maybe you've been written off by friends and family. Maybe, you're, maybe you feel like there is no inherent value, but you are precious in the sight of God. You are the apple of his eye. 
And he wants you to realize your destiny. Your destiny was not simply attending church. Your destiny was to be the church. Your pardon was signed in blood. Your name is written in glory. You were bought at a precious price. Your steps have been ordered of the Lord. Your body has been assigned to resurrection. You've been ordained to rule and reign with Christ. It's time to realize your destiny. When you come to understand the destiny that God has for you, you'll realize there's not a gang in the city that's as dangerous as this congregation. There's not an army on the battlefield as dangerous as this congregation. There is no flu that is dangerous as this congregation once they realize their destiny in God. You are more dangerous than a, a, a match taking a gasoline bath. If anyone could just spark that in you. You're more dangerous than two tigers with their, tiles, their tails tied together. A, you get a bag of pit vipers in here. They ain't got nothing on what this church can do if you'll grab hold. And if you say, yeah, I know that, amen, then grab hold. Because what you have is not what God has in store. This is how we measure success in the world. It's not how God measures success. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there and you've seen it. You've seen when God shows up and a glory cloud fills the church. And you've seen people come up out of wheelchairs. And you've seen the town drunk give his life to God and go into ministry. You've seen God restore broken hearts that were long since shattered. Marriages that thought they had no hope. You've seen God do these things and we sit and reminisce about what happened before. And God said, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things I have for you. You haven't even stepped into your destiny. You haven't even considered your potential yet. That was a warm-up. That was an appetizer for us. We need God to move again. This country's in trouble. I got news for you. It ain't going to get better. The Bible tells us that. So the church must arise. The abortion crowd needs to know you have realized your destiny. The porn industry needs to know we have realized our destiny. The false prophets need to know that we've realized our The drug dealers need to know that we have realized our destiny. The devil needs to know that we have realized our destiny. God has a purpose for you greater than you can imagine. We have a rule at our church. When folks come into the church that are new, we don't say, hey, it's a blessing to have you. We're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. Where can we fit you in? We meet with them and we say, what has God called you to do? And if they say, I don't know, Okay, that's our first point of business. Let's do a spiritual gift inventory. Let's pray on this. Let's ask God to reveal what is your calling. Once we have your calling, how do we facilitate that? How do we help you fulfill your calling with God? That's our view as you come into the church. Why? Because the church entity has got to get out into this world in a new way and inspire light and truth. When we look out there and we see how dark this hour is, I thank God because light shines the brightest in the dark. When you're in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a storm, and you can't see, 
left, right, up, down, but you can see a lighthouse on the shore, you know where to go. You know that you have safety. I want to be that Christian who is a lighthouse in the dark times. I know that in order for a lighthouse to be effective, it's got to be in the darkness. But even if I'm planted in the darkness, I will be in the light of God because he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's planted me right where he's put me, and he's put me there for a purpose. And I am no different than you. Each and every one of us can be that lighthouse. Next point. Reflect your deliverance. Remember when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he's not even a follower. He's heard about Jesus. But he's never even heard Jesus. But something happens. And, and, and did you catch it? Nowhere in the dialogue does Jesus address Zacchaeus' tax business. Nowhere does he address his finances or his integrity or his ethics. But Zacchaeus becomes self-aware. In the presence of Jesus, all of a sudden he starts realizing other places where he's short. And what does he do in response? He begins to articulate, to confess. My heart is changed. I'm declaring a new direction. I'll take care of this. I'll do this. Without Jesus even prompting him, he begins to demonstrate Christ-like behavior. Let me ask you a question. If you were unable to speak, would others know that you were a follower of Christ? If you were unable to say a word, would others know that you are a follower of Christ? And if so, how? It, it reminds me of blind Bartimaeus, who's wearing a poor man, a beggar's cloak. But when Jesus says, come and follow me, he casts it off. That's no longer my identity. We have to, we have to do this. We have to cast this off. We have to reflect our deliverance. Who am I? I don't mean to offend anybody here. Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a former Marine. Okay, great. What does that mean to me? A lot. Where is it on the pinnacle scale? Not at the top. I don't identify myself primarily as a Marine. I don't identify myself as a Republican or a Democrat. I don't even, re, uh, I don't even identify myself as an American first and foremost. I am a child of God. I am a citizen in his kingdom. I am his first and foremost. And everyone that I encounter, I am an ambassador for Christ. And I want them to see what Christ looked like, what he acted like, what he sounded like. Compassion and love and mercy. If a planted seed never sends up a shoot and never ripens, how will you know it took root? You're known by your fruit. Reflect your deliverance. Let people see the change in your life. Bear the fruits of repentance. I hear people say all the time, well, if God wanted me to stop, he'd just stop me. No, he wouldn't. Let's not talk about Calvinism today. That's not how this works. 
He wants to partner with you in delivering you from that. Well, if God wanted me to stop it, he would have told me. He just did. He just did. It's on your heart right now. And you're not alone. There's things in my life that God says, oh, we've come this far, but now we've got to address this. We've always got to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. I know you preach on Acts 1 and 8. It's one of your favorite verses. You shall be my witnesses when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Oh, we can talk about witness. Greek word martis. We get the word martyr from that word. Surrendering your life. That's what, that's what it means to be a witness of Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified with Christ. That's how Paul put it. Martis. Witness. I want to be a witness of Christ. The eighth commandment still says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You know why our churches are struggling today? Because a lot of people go out claiming to be Christians and acting everything but. And people think that's what the church is and that's what God is. It's time for us to show them this is what Christianity is. This is who God is. And I know I'm talking to the right people here today. I come with a word of encouragement because I know you're the ones who bear that kind of fruit because you don't get through what you got through if you don't have God. But I believe God's about to take, as beautiful as this church is, now God's saying, guess what? This church is just going to be a gathering place where you pray. The actual church events are going to be happening out there. In your workplaces, in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your Walmarts. Mm. I'm excited about what God's doing here. One more. You're going to have to reject descriptions. I learned this one the hard way. You see, my wife's Pentecostal pedigree, and your pastor was raised in the church of God. I'm a mutt. I'm a theological mutt. I come from a Baptist family who believes once saved, always saved. Couldn't hold on to that. Ended up attending a Methodist church. Got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm hardcore Wesleyan Pentecostal, but love the sacramental theology that I see in Eastern Orthodoxy and the Catholic tradition, and I, and I love the experiential side that you see. So I'm like, I'm like Heinz 57 mutt. But when I got saved, and when I got called into the ministry, everybody said, well, you're a church of God pastor. This is how you need to preach now. <laughs> well, you know, and every now and then throw in a shundai shundai. And, and splash somebody with the oil. This is how you got to preach. And I never did it well. And here's what I learned. You know what? God didn't call me to be T.D. Jakes. He has a T.D. Jakes. And he does T.D. Jakes just fine. God did not call me to be Rod Parsley. God did not call me to be Perry Stone. God did not call me to be fill in the blank. He called me to be me right? I had to reject the descriptions that others were putting on me. 
And not just about who I was supposed to be, but who I had been. It's my testimony. I have no problem telling you. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. God delivered me from that. But then people look at that and they go, well, yeah, but I mean, is this guy real? I mean, you know what he used to do. You know what he used to be like, right? Look at what Zacchaeus does. The crowd says, there's that sinner. And in the Greek, it's an emphasis. There's the notorious sinner. You all know who he is. That's Zacchaeus. Aside from the fact that we're all notorious sinners, but there's that sinner. And Jesus said, hmm, there's that son of Abraham. You see, it doesn't matter what others call you. All that matters is what God calls you. And that's who you need to be listening to. So many Christians are trying to live up to someone else's expectations. And that's because we wrongly find self-worth in what we believe others think about us. So we'll tirelessly work to get the approval of a spouse or a boss or a friend or a family member only to feel like we've fallen short. Come on. Only to feel like a failure. And this tendency will keep you from going where God wants you to go, from doing what God wants you to do, from being who God called you to be because you never feel worthy. You never feel able. This need to be approved and accepted by others, it's an addiction as strong as any drug, any lust, any greed. And if you're not careful, your desires and dreams will take a backseat to their expectations. And you'll sacrifice your true self to become something pleasing to them. Let me give you two words of revelation here. Number one, you never had to meet their expectation. Number two, you never will anyway. There's only one opinion that matters at the end of the day. If God says, well done, good and faithful servant, well done, all is good. All is good. you got to reject the descriptions because they will keep you from walking, from realizing your destiny and overcoming the shortfalls and walking in God's glory. God called you to be a servant to the people, not a slave to their demands. He called you to meet people's needs, not their expectations. <laughs> if I have permission to get really deep in the weeds here, here's a revelation that I've had as a pastor. The flock that comes, God did not call me to reform them or transform them into my image of a Christian. God is transforming you into his image. And his image reflected in you may not be the same as the image of God reflected in me. Because our God is that big. So it's okay that we're a little different. And it's okay that we might do things a little differently. There is no set agenda. That's how we get into legalism. You find, Now, I'm not saying all willy-nilly and hang from the chandeliers, and I feel led of God to do that. No, we're keeping it in line with God. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you as an individual, we seek approval from others when the only approval we need is God. If you're going to manage your moment, if you're going to step into everything God has called you to be, the final authority on whether you've succeeded is God and God alone. Somebody might say you're a nobody. God says you're a somebody. Somebody he died for. Romans 8 says you're more than a conqueror. 1 John and 5 says you are an overcomer. 
Revelation 1 says you are a king and a priest. Galatians, 7 says, or Galatians 4 and 7 says that you are, at this moment, a joint heir to the kingdom. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says you were once in darkness. You are now a child of the light. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. They may say you're pathetic and worthless, but God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't let what they say keep you from doing what God said. You are coming into a season of blessing and favor. Don't miss your moment. The best is yet to come. If I may leave you with this, when I stepped into this facility, I remembered what it used to look like. And I came in and thought, man, what have they been through? And look at what it is now. Do you know that's the testimony of God for you as an individual? That people would say, I remember what it used to look like. Look at it now. Look at it now. Do you not know you are the temple of God in whom his Holy Spirit dwells? I believe you're on a verge, Pastor. I believe that the church is about to explode in a true revival, not something we put on a calendar, in an explosion of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love being amplified throughout. And I believe this is an ignition point. Don't miss your moment. I, did, I haven't preached this. My wife's sitting right here. I haven't preached this at our church. I don't have this word for our church. We're not there. We're getting there. You're on to something very special here. I'm, I'm not a prophet of God, but I am prophesying in, in the spirit that God's about to explode a new depth in your walk with him. Don't be afraid. Don't let your shortfalls hold you back. Don't let what anyone else says hold you back. Don't let people block you from seeing Jesus. This is your season. You're coming into your Isaac season, not your Ishmael. Grab hold of God. If I could have the honor of praying with you. Father, I thank you, God, today. Lord, I'm so excited. I feel something here today. I hear that sound of an abundance of rain. And in some people's lives, they may not even see the cloud on the horizon yet. Lord, I'm reminded, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. It, it's, it's beginning. It's beginning in your life. Father, I did not come to just preach a sermon, but to give a word to people who are on the verge of this blessing and favor that you are about to pour forth that we would recognize where we are short, that we would not let anything stand in the way, that we would remove descriptions and not let them hold us back, that we would realize our destiny. <laughs> the Lord reminded me Back in my secular work days, we had a day where they were talking about from HR, dress for the job that you want. So the next day I came in in a Batman costume. 
They didn't find it as funny as I did, but I thought it was funny. Um, But the Lord laid that on my heart for a reason. When you realize your destiny, dress for the job, dress for the calling, dress for the purpose. Even though you're not walking in it yet, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the whole armor of God. Before I was a pastor, I started meeting with God every day, and I started studying and preparing for sermons like I was a pastor. I started doing hospital visits like I was a pastor. I dressed for the calling that God had for me. That, that's for someone in here today. Start doing the work of God. Even if you feel like you're not qualified, dress for the calling that God has given you. Begin to live it out and see if God will not honor it and manifest it. Whatever point that we shared, maybe it's multiple ones. I want to give you a time to pray together. I don't know if you're having collective prayer at the altar with all the COVID-19, but if, if you would like to pray together, I'm happy to pray with you. Blessed God, let us not miss our moment. And we thank you for the gift and calling of God that is upon us.